This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We'd first of all like to thank all of you who contributed to last week's Pledge Drive. This, of course, is a rather tedious affair that community stations and um, indeed all non-commercial stations must go through every year. Uh, We thank you for your patience during all of last week, and we thank you for contributing just about $50,000. Now, our goal had been 55, and it would have been nice had we been able to achieve that goal. We would like to point out to you that you can go to the KDVS website and still contribute, and we hope as the year evolves that you will continue to do so. In fact, while it's still fresh in your mind, If you didn't manage to make your pledge last week, please go to the website and do what you can. We're about, I think, $1,000 short of $50,000. We're just over $49,000. If you could call in and put us over the $50,000 mark and even get us up to that $55,000, wouldn't that be grand? Well, actually, I guess it'd be five grand if we got all of it. Well, we did quite well. We want to thank you for that. We... um, uh, the unofficial tally is that we broke the record here for a one-hour show. I don't know whether that's true or not. I, we're going to look into that. Uh, maybe it is. I hope so. I'm certainly encouraged by the robust numbers that we received during that pledge drive. I, 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 I think that this demonstrates um, to us, to the station, and I think to the radio community in general, that uh, you, the listeners, want the kind of intelligent programming, at least what we think is intelligent programming. Um, this is the kind of thing that you want to hear. You get some very good public affairs programming here on this station. You have some uh, excellent hosts in the morning and in the evening. We're also able to bring you things like free speech radio and counterspin. And, uh, you know, as many of our guests, which we, uh, which we re-aired on last week's program, some distinguished people from all over the country, uh, Robert Greenwald, Danny Schechter, uh, Greg Pallast, who will be appearing on this show shortly. We'll tell you about that. Uh, these people, Michael Perini have some very complimentary things to say about community radio stations exactly like this. You heard from Reese Ehrlich, people like Vicki Wilson, that, uh, you know, they think we have an important role to play, and, and, and by God, I, you know, I think we do. So, and, and you obviously do, too, because you reached into your pockets and, 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 and found a way to support us. So, again, thank you for that. And a special thanks uh, for some, some a wonderful contribution made to this program by uh, Terry and Steve Block. Uh, they have uh, three sons here at UCD, Tyler, Jeremy, and Adam. And I think they felt that, uh, you know, we must be helping their education in some capacity. So, again, thank you for your generous donation. And thanks also to Debbie Rosenblum, the proprietor of The Berry Best, a nonprofit company and that um, sees all of its proceeds go to support animal care. Thank you, Debbie, for your generous contribution. And we would like to point out that Debbie Rosenblum is no relation, in fact, to our own Hollywood correspondent, Mr. David Rosenblum, at least as far as we've been able to ascertain. We would also like to make a very special thanks to Greg Pallast, our guest, in fact, on the second segment today. Greg Pallast is one of the top investigative reporters in the world, currently working for the BBC Newsnight and the Britain's Guardian Papers. Greg Pallas' exposés have been incendiary, which is perhaps why he has been sort of in semi-exile over in the United Kingdom. Uh, Greg is always interesting. He's making his third appearance on today's program. We would like to thank him very much for donations of 
his fine book, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, which was used as one of our premium gifts for people that contributed. And uh, Greg's contribution of his books uh, contributed something like $400 to our station's earnings. Thanks, Greg. We'd like to remind you that Greg Palast is in Berkeley this evening. It's just after 5 o'clock, and if you have nothing planned for tonight, I think a trip down to Berkeley might be in order. Greg is speaking at the Berkeley Fellowship Hall at Cedar and Bonita Streets in Berkeley. It'll be running from 7.30 to 9.30 tonight, and um, Greg will be joined by Jello Biafra of the Dead Kennedys, and uh, basically it'll be on a donation basis at the door. All proceeds will go to KPFA Flashpoints and Project Censored, two very worthy causes. And we'll remind you of that before this show is over. I really think that you, um, you might want to go down and check this out tonight. Another worthy cause you might wish to check out is the press conference and actually, I guess, concert that's going on starting right now over in front of the Tower Theater in downtown Sacramento. Perhaps you read in the Sacramento News and Review their excellent article by Cosmo Garvin about Mayor Heather Fargo's effort to use $13 million in corporate welfare out of the taxpayers' uh, taxpayers' contributions to the city of Sacramento will go to uh, a company that wants to build a large theater, which will, without a doubt, run the Crest and Tower out of business downtown. I recommend, again, you go take a look at Cosmo's article in News and Review. You can probably find that on the web. And... Consider attending this uh, press conference if you're right in the area. Take your radio with you so you can listen to this show and hear what they've got to say. And there will be a concert afterwards by Mumbo Gumbo, an enormously popular local band for good reason. These are two things worth checking out, Greg Palast and an effort to uh, a rally to save the Tower Theater. All right. Another issue that uh, we keep returning to is abortion rights. Uh, currently, the Vatican, a cardinal at the Vatican, is uh, saying that Politicians who are not towing the Vatican line on abortion just might not be eligible to receive communion as good Catholics. Of course, they're referring to John Kerry, who is going to be the presumptive Democratic nominee, who uh, is uh, a Catholic and is pro-choice. The Catholic Church, I think, is going to be very sorry they started to pick this fight. Um, There are an awful lot of Catholic uh, senators and congressmen in Washington, D.C. who are pro-choice. They can't very well single out Kerry without then going forward and denying the sacrament of communion to all the rest of these people as well. Now, I believe the majority, actual majority, of Catholics in the United States are in the pro-choice camp. In this issue, most Americans and most American Catholics do not agree with the Vatican. And if the Vatican wishes to push the issue, it's going to cause a schism in the church in the United States, which I don't think will be good for anyone. And speaking of abortion rights, in Washington, D.C. in the past week, I've heard accounts that over a million women marched on the Capitol in favor of the right to choose. Now, the smallest estimates I saw were five. 100,000 women. This didn't get very much publicity. Now, this didn't get very much publicity if it was 500,000. If it was over a million, I'm really startled by the lack of publicity. 1.1 million people, if it's true, that was one estimate I heard, would be the largest march in the history of Washington, D.C. It did make the front page of the papers, but it seems to me that's uh, that should be all over the news all week. 
Make a note, we're going to try and run that one down to see whether more people turned out this past week than for uh, Martin Luther King's march on Washington with his famous I Have a Dream speech. But it certainly is possible. The population of the U.S. is bigger than it was back in the 1960s. And uh, this is an issue with tremendous support all over the country. We brought you people from Planned Parenthood before. We'll do so again. All right, we have some ground to make up on this show. What with our pledge drive last week, we're a couple weeks behind in covering current events. So let's uh, let's take the plunge. Uh, one of my favorite stories of a couple weeks ago was apparently uh, David Letterman aired a tape of a tedious speech by George Bush, and which in which the camera zoomed in a, on a boy in the podium who kept yawning. I didn't see this, but I wish I, I've got to go find this. CNN rebroadcast the clip, but then anchor woman. Dorothy Kagan apparently said, we're being told by the White House that that kid, as funny as he was, was edited into that video. Well, as you might expect from the current White House, that wasn't true. To prove he wasn't, Letterman tracked down 13-year-old Tyler Crotty, who confirmed that he was the boy caught yawning on camera. <laughs> Letterman said, now I've called the White House liars. And you know what that means? They're starting to look into my taxes. And of course, in the news, you've been following numerous cases are currently being argued in front of the Supreme Court, including the one involving Vice President Dick Cheney, which Antonin Scalia, our favorite justice, refused to recuse himself for despite the trip he took at taxpayer expense with Dick Cheney down to Louisiana to blast away at numerous birds from their duck blind. Mr. McMillan, could you please cue up the Antonin Scalia theme song? Now, uh, okay, you got to love this guy. Antonin Scalia went down to Mississippi a couple weeks ago and uh, gave a speech. Now, uh, Scalia's laid down the law that his uh, speeches are not to be recorded. <laughs> but apparently, a couple of Mississippi reporters managed to get in a device and record the remarks of Court Justice Scalia. Scalia, who then gave a talk in which he lamented the lack of of respect Americans have for the Constitution. He lamented that Americans do not properly revere our Constitution. He then proceeded to have the tape recorder seized by federal marshals when he discovered that he'd been recorded. When he saw the stink that was coming, Scalia subsequently denied that he had ordered them seized, said he was just as upset as you are, and in effect, uh, more or less apologized to the two Mississippi reporters who said, uh, well, good enough for me, I, I accept his apology. This prompted Tom Burka, a, a hopefully a future uh, a guest we're going to have on this show, who, who hosts a website titled Opinions You Should Have. Uh, Tom Burka's write-up on this story was as follows. Scalia seizes tape of his apology. Today, Justice Antonin Scalia ordered the seizure of two Mississippi reporters' tapes of his apology to them after he discovered that they were recording his remarks. Scalia was apologizing for a previous seizure of the reporter's tapes. Then he noticed they were recording his apology, whereupon he ordered federal marshals to seize the recordings and grind them into dust. I have a First Amendment right to destroy the First Amendment rights of others, Scalia said later in a letter apologizing for seizing the recordings of his apology. In a separate letter, Justice Clarence Thomas concurred.
Tom Burka is a pretty funny guy. We got to quote some other stuff from him. Title. Iraqi caretaker government to be replaced by janitorial administocracy. The Bush administration announced today the new Iraqi interim government they are to transfer power to in June 30th would not be able to make new laws, regulate spending, control armed forces, or govern, but it would be permitted to take out the trash on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Oh, they'll have plenty to do, said White House spokesman Scott McClellan. With only 10 weeks from the scheduled transfer of sovereignty, the White House is still uncertain what form of interim government to create. Quote, We've been considering a caretaker government, a gopher government, a custodial government, a babysitter government, a satellite government, a puppet regime, a mindless bureaucracy, a faux authority, or a complete charade, said McClellan. We want Iraqis to know what it means to be truly liberated, to enjoy complete freedom, and to form the government of their choosing, said Scott McClellan. Just not today. Well, uh, another cartoon I wanted to cite uh, that I thought was particularly impressive was reprinted in the Week magazine uh, two weeks ago. Of course, in the wake of the 9-11 Commission investigations, a lot of the Republican defenders of the administration are pointing out that Clinton certainly could have done more to uh, battle al-Qaeda. Now, uh, you may recall that in 1998, Clinton did launch a cruise missile attack on al-Qaeda headquarters in Afghanistan, for which he was roundly criticized by Republicans. And uh, in asking this question of why Clinton didn't do more to battle al-Qaeda, I would ask these same uh, Republicans to explain um, how they thought he could do that while he was simultaneously being impeached for the high crime of having an affair with a White House intern. As uh, Vince Bugliosi pointed out in his excellent book on the 2000 election, that uh, Gore versus Bush probably wasn't the worst Supreme Court decision of late, that uh, the decision they made to allow the Paula Jones case to go forward, which, of course, led to Clinton being impeached once Linda Tripp went in and a buddy-buddied up to Monica Lewinsky during the trial regarding Paula Jones, yada, yada, yada. Uh, according to these Republican leadership and the, and the Supreme Court, this just couldn't possibly wait until after Clinton left the White House. This had to go forward, and uh, you know, regardless of what the president has to do, let's also add that to his daily schedule of having to fend off issues of impeachment over a sexual indiscretion. Of course, it has been contended that he wasn't impeached for having an indiscretion. He was impeached for lying about it. Well, <laughs> uh, if that's an impeachable offense, what, what do you think lying about weapons of mass destruction should uh, stand in the grand scheme of things? And yes, you've heard it on this very program from the lips of Ambassador Joe Wilson, who investigated for the White House whether they had uranium shipments from Niger going to Iraq, that it was not true, and Bush knew it wasn't true when he told the American public that that was the case. That, my friends, is lying. And if lying about whether you had an affair is impeachable, again, where does that stand in the grand scheme of things? As far as I know, the issue of Monica Lewinsky's semen-stained blue dress didn't get any American soldiers killed. And I think, actually, on this note, I need to get serious for a minute. Um, one of the big stories in the past uh, couple weeks regarded uh, a, a, a fighter in Afghanistan um, named Pat Tillman Jr. 
Mr. Tillman was an up-and-coming star of the National Football League, and he decided that it was more important that he give up a multi-year, million-dollar contract and join the Army, which he did. And he went off to serve in Afghanistan, where he was killed in action. This uh, became quite a national news story when it was uh, revealed uh, what had happened, this, this background of this of this young man that decided he was going to put um, the interests of his country above his own. And, uh, you know, you, you, you have, no matter how you feel about the issues of what's going on in the Middle East and, and you know, what, no matter where you stand in the political spectrum, you have to admire a man who would do that. We've been critical of the war in Iraq all along, before it happened, while it happened, while it's still happening, and we'll continue to do so. Uh, but uh, I think the war in Afghanistan, the effort that went in there to root out the roots of al-Qaeda, uh, is somewhat of a different kettle of fish. Afghanistan was a basket-case government, and in the disarray, uh, al-Qaeda was using it as a base of operations from which the attacks of 9-11 were basically planned and launched. Going into Afghanistan makes a certain amount of sense. And when you think of what might have been accomplished in Afghanistan if we'd finished the business there instead of getting involved in a war with Saddam Hussein, a war which diverted hundreds of billions and hundreds of thousands of soldiers away from the effort in Afghanistan, um, well, it might be a good time to point out this is day... 968, the still unsuccessful search for Osama bin Laden, the man who actually masterminded the attack on the United States on 9-11. You know, I, I should point out, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying I fully support the war in Afghanistan the way it was conducted. There, there's a lot more side issues involved there, involving drug trade and all sorts of things that we'll, we've talked about before and we'll talk about again. But you can make an excellent case that going in to root out al-Qaeda, where their base of operations was, makes sense in a war against terrorism. So I can't help but feel for a, a guy like Pat Tillman Jr., whether you, you know, agree with him or not. You know, he thought he was doing the right thing, and like so many soldiers before him, it is your lot to go and, and, and to do what, uh, what you think is best for your country, and sometimes you'll die for that cause. That, that happened to this... Uh, this young man, I'm, I'm sorry to report that I actually know his family. My heart goes out to them under these uh, these tragic circumstances. I, I didn't know his father very well, although we, we attended the same high school. I knew his uncle uh, quite well. And again, my condolences. But an important issue that I think that comes into focus in regarding the case of, of Pat Tillman is something that I think we should close out this first segment with today, something that's on the horizon, something that has to do with the ongoing war, primar wars, primarily our war in Iraq, is that uh, we're stretched too thin. Experts said that if we went in, we needed to go in with a much greater force. We, wanted to go, we needed to go in with a lot of help from other nations. And as you well know, other nations looked at this prospective war in Iraq and wanted no part of it. They did not believe that there were weapons of mass destruction. They did not believe there was an imminent threat. In uh, both those uh, assessments, it turns out uh, posterity has shown they were correct. So the Pentagon and Bush White House scoffed at uh, estimates that this would cost hundreds of billions and we needed hundreds of thousands of men. So, our reserves are being stretched to the limit and being told they can't go home. Because the Pentagon is being stretched for manpower, we're hearing um, the following. 
Senator Chuck Hagel told the Senate Foreign Relations Committee hearings on post-occupation Iraq, quote, there's not an American that doesn't understand what we're engaged in today and what the prospects are for the future. Why shouldn't we ask all of our citizens to bear some responsibility and pay some price? Hegel then argued that restoring compulsory military service would force, quote, our citizens to understand the intensity and depth of challenges we face. And yes, if you're not, if you're not clear on where this is going yet, the Nebraska Republican added that a draft, which was ended in the early 1970s, would spread the burden of military service in Iraq more equitably among various social strata. Under the guise of an egalitarian reform of the military, these folks are talking about bringing back compulsory military service, i.e. the draft. Now, you out there in the audience, many of whom are of draftable age who are students, if this doesn't give you pause, I don't know what does. And Anyone who's lived through a military draft uh, was old enough to be uh, up for grabs, such as myself. I was in the very last year of people that were eligible um, for a draft in this country before we went to an all-volunteer military service. And if you think it's going to spread the burden of military service more equitably among various social strata... Uh, you obviously weren't around uh, the first time um, for this whole operation. No member of Congress currently has any son or daughter in the military at risk in the Middle East. None. People like Newt Gingrich, Rush Limbaugh, and most particularly Dick Cheney arranged to get deferments. If they bring the draft back, it's going to be the same ugly game. This is a truly bad idea. But it's one they're seriously floating a trial balloon on. Rest assured, we'll come back to that topic in the future. But our segment is up. Stay tuned for the always interesting investigative reporter, Greg Pallast, in segment number two. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax, and you're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento.